Morning, church. Great to see you all. Welcome. Glad you're here. I'm Pastor Greg. Hey, just before we uh, read the scripture this morning, I want to uh, talk to you about uh, an opportunity that we have coming up this Saturday. As you've heard Pastor Chris talk about the week of serve, which is the last week in June, where we have hundreds of our children and youth going to dozens of venues around the community uh, doing acts of service and kindness and expressing God's love. We also have a one-day event here at Union Chapel called Community Service Day, and that's coming up on Saturday. We're going to the Southside neighborhood this year, and we've got about 70 homes that we're going to be touching, rehabbing, uh, cleaning up, refurbishing, painting up, fixing up, and it's going to be a great, great experience. We always have a great time of fellowship and fun when we do Community Service Day. Numbers of you have signed up. Uh, Numbers Others of you have not signed up, and I just want to nudge you about that. Now, let me give you some perspective. Many of us who uh, follow, follow Jesus in our, in our culture have a growing sense that, that there is a need in our country, in our world, for renewal, for revival, for revolution, for reformation. And we, we have a sense that the darkness is getting darker, and there's a need for more light. And maybe you have that same sense as I do. Uh, let me give you some historical perspective. In the early 16th century, a guy by the name of Martin Luther came along, and he thought that the Church of Jesus Christ in the world had kind of veered off a bit. And so he wrote these theses, these statements, 95 of these statements, and posted them on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And and the Protestant Reformation was born. And there are many millions of us Protestants in the world today because of Luther and his leadership. And Luther basically said that we need to get back to the Bible, that salvation comes through faith alone, by grace alone, through the Scripture alone. And that was the alma mater of the Protestant Reformation. And so the focus of the first Reformation in history was about what we believe, and, of course, what we believe is important and, w- and what we believe matters, really matters a lot. But we saw a historic move of God that released the church in more of a mission evangelical attitude toward the world when we came to terms with the truth of the gospel, which is it is by grace alone, through faith alone, by the scriptures alone. And, and we, we saw the gospel clear and we began to take it around the world. And we are all benefact- beneficiaries of that amazing reformation, the Protestant Reformation. I believe that God has another reformation around the corner. And if we are to see it in our lifetimes, this is what I believe. I think that the next reformation of a historic nature in our world is not going to focus primarily on what we believe. Although what we believe is important, it matters, and it will, it will be an essential part of it. It won't be the primary focus. I think the next time that reformation comes to the world, it will be a reformation not of what we believe primarily, but of what we do. Not of what we say, but of how we act. We're called to be the body of Christ, and we're not merely the spokesperson of of the body of Christ. We're also the hands and the feet. So it's important for us not only to keep, keep sacred the Word of God, but it's also important for us to embrace the works of God. Do you have an ear for that? So that the influence that the church has in the world, I think in the next Reformation, is going to be primarily focused on how we live and what we do to make a difference in the world in which we live. Because what we do really matters. 
What we do speaks a whole lot louder sometimes than what we say. We all know that's right. We all know that's true. And so simple little activities like a community service day becomes an opportunity for us to actually put our hands on something that is meaningful, helpful, loving, reflects the gospel, represents Jesus. And and so I want to just nudge you. It's one thing for you to be a conscientious Christian and say, you know, I'm concerned about my community. I'm concerned about my country. I'm concerned that darkness is getting dark and we need, we need a move of God. It's one thing for us to say that and to believe that and to pray for that. It's another thing for us to recognize what it takes to realize that. And part of what it takes to realize that is actually do something to influence the people for Christ. That's good preaching right now before the preaching, isn't it? So... <laughs> So here's an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a very practical, loving way to do something that matters, not just in word, but in deed as well. And so that's coming up this Saturday. You can get online at unionchapel.com, sign up for that. You can get on the church app, sign up for that. We'll notify you this week if you haven't signed up before now and let you know where to go and what, what to, to ex- kind of work you should expect. Maybe you're a person who says, well, I can't get out and do physical labor. Great. You know, you can maybe help prepare food or serve food during the lunch hour. There's something for everyone to do on community service day. And so I want to see you out there. I'm looking forward to it. I, I love community service day. I always get in somebody's house that, you know, it's a, it's a person who can't care for themselves in some way. And, and uh, inevitably, I'll meet someone. I'll talk to, about them, about Jesus. Why are you guys out here? Well, we're just sharing the love of God in a practical way. And it's just great fun fun to hang out together with all of us so i look forward to seeing you there on saturday thanks so much for your help with that all right we're going to begin a little mini series this weekend called finding your way the single most frequently asked question of me as a pastor spiritual leader over the years there's not a close second the most frequently asked question that people have of me is how do i know the will of god how can i find the will of God. How can I know what God wants me to do? How can I discern God's plan for my life and, 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 and get into that plan? It's, it's, it's an important question. It's, it's the right question to be asking. So what I want to do in the next few weeks is just lay some foundation for how you find your way, how you stay on the way that God has designed for your life. And I think it'll be practical and it'll be helpful. Today, I want to talk about finding your way through the promises of God. And we want to uh, look at this uh, really fun story, exciting story from the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, and hear the promise of God made to Abraham and Sarah about the birth of their son, Isaac. And it's, uh, it's a great lesson for us, and I hope uh, we'll benefit from it. So today I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 17 and, and chapter 18, some selected verses there. If you have your Bibles, we'll be skipping around there. If not, we'll project the words up on the screen so you can see them. And as is our custom, we'll invite you to stand as you're able to honor God's word. Genesis 17, beginning at verse 3. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Now, down to verse 17 of chapter 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Now, verse 19. Then God said, Yes, 
But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now over to chapter 18, first two verses. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Now over to verse 9 and following. Where's your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, yes, you did. You laughed. <laughs> now, may God instruct us through this laugh today. May you be seated. Thanks so much. Now, picture this. These are two old folks, really old. They're old. Abraham, Abram, is 99 years old, and Sarah is 90 years old. They live in the desert. They live in a tent among a village of tents. God speaks to this man and says, Blessed are you, Abraham. You'll be the father of many nations. Abraham says, That's interesting because I am now, in this moment, childless, and I'm also 99 years old. And you're telling me I'm going to be the father of a nation. And God says, By this time next year, not with Ishmael through the handmaiden Hagar, but with your wife Sarah, this time next year you will have a son. And then the Bible says that Abraham fell on the ground laughing. He fell over laughing. You know, if you're with him, you just go, be careful there, buddy. You could fall and not get up. You know, you're 99. You could break a hip falling over laughing. Watch it. So now go forward, and the same cluster of movable nomadic tents, three strangers arrive, begin to talk with Abraham. And he quickly realizes, Abe realizes that these are angels. These are beings, angelic messengers sent to him. And Sarah, she's probably preparing the meal. And while she's preparing the meal, she eavesdrops on the conversation between these three angels and her husband. And, they, and she hears the angel say, by this time next year, you and your wife, Sarah, will have a natural born son. And the Bible says when Sarah heard that, she laughed. And as she presents the food, one of the strangers asks, when we announce what will happen to you and your husband, you laugh. Why did you laugh? And Sarah says, oh, I didn't laugh. Angel said, yes, you did. I heard you. You laughed. No, I didn't laugh. Yes, you laughed. Now, here's a question. What is the difference between Abraham's laugh and Sarah's laugh? Abraham fell over on the floor laughing, and Sarah laughs and gets a rebuke from the angel. What's the difference? I mean, is this merely divine sexism? You know, the man laughs, it's fine. The woman laughs, hey, hey, watch it. What's going on here? I think apparently... The, the difference is the motivation behind the laughter. Now, if you can get this subtlety, you'll understand the point of my message today. Abraham is delighted when he hears this promise from God. This time next year, you and Sarah will have a son, a natural-born son. And he laughs. 
Sarah hears the same word and she laughs, only her laugh is in mockery and derision. Abraham hears the word, hears the promise, and goes, all right. Sarah hears the same promise and she goes, oh, right. And it's a different attitude. Now listen to me carefully, friends. Along the way in life, along the pathway of life, there are going to be many, many challenges, many crises, many eruptions, disruptions, and dysfunctions. Life is filled with all of these challenges and difficulties. And along the way, we are going to have to have something that enables us to to find the way of God and to stay on the way of God in the midst of all of those unique challenges. And one of those foundational ways that we stay firm on the pathway God has given us is through his promises to us. Let me put this statement on the screen for you so it'll sink in a little better. One of the most wonderful pathways that God puts in our lives is the pathway of promises. If you need to find your way or stay on the way, make the promises of God your close companion. Now, let's talk about that just for a little bit. Let me, let me just remind you that we are all tied to the promises of God. In Abraham's case, we read in Romans 4.21, it says Abraham was fully persuaded that God was able to do that which he promised. Abraham actually, so when Abraham says this time next year, you'll be 100, your wife will be 90, 91 years old, and you will have a natural born son, Abraham was fully persuaded that God was able to do what he promised. So he laughed, fell down laughing. Woohoo! He's happy about it. Sarah hears the same promise and she goes, Yeah, all right, whatever. That's not going to happen. All this time I've waited for a son, didn't have one. And now, yeah, right, God's going to give me a son when I'm 90 years old. It, you know, dude, it's too late. And her attitude mattered. One, one day, a few years ago, I was driving. And I was uh, going in, uh, into a town here in Indiana. Along the side of the road was a billboard. It had an advertisement for a local bank. had the name of the bank. And then this, this statement in quotes around this bank. And it says, we promise performance. We promise performance. And in the next instant, God nudged me as I'm driving the car. And, and this is what I heard God say. He said, that bank may promise performance performance, but I perform my promises. Now, did you hear that? I perform my promises. Listen, that's the best the world has to offer, to promise performance. But God says, I will perform my promise. So when God gives you a promise, you can live with a sense of great hope. Listen, you may not see it yet, hear it yet, taste it yet, touch it yet. It may not be in your hands in this particular moment. It may not be in your possession at this actual date. But God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful that way. And so let that joy rush over you. Let the whole world, the Bible says, be a liar. But let God's promises be true. Let every man be a liar. But let God's promises be reliable in your life. And this is the the invitation that God gives us to believe and trust his promises. Now, if you're following the outline, here's the first idea I want to give you. And that is God's promises as it relates to our faith. Now think about this. God's promises and our faith. The promises of God are based on who He is in His personhood and His character. 
Now stop and think about that. The promises of God are based not on your faith, not based on your attitude or my willingness to submit and believe them, but the promises of God, rather, are rooted in and founded on the character and the person of God himself. And this is what makes them reliable because they are based on the integrity of God and his intention to fulfill every promise that he has made. Why do you think the world works so hard to convince you that the Bible is not true? Have you noticed the world is working overtime trying to convince us that the Bible is vacuous, that it's empty, that it's unreliable, that it's outdated, that it's an irrelevant document? You should just poop. I mean, anybody who believes the Bible is true. I mean, how nonsensical is that? How unreasonable is that? How silly, foolish is that? Are you one of those Christian people? You actually believe the, you follow the Bible? Please. What are you thinking? And so, so people in our culture today are discouraged from reaching for the truth of God's word. But listen to me carefully. For years, for decades, for centuries, for millennia, there have been voices speaking and words written trying to refute the reliability of the scriptures. But you know what? Every voice eventually goes silent. Every voice eventually goes silent. Their faithless words fade, their documents crumble, while the word of God remains enduring to the test of time and every conceivable critic. That's an interesting historical context, and it's right to get the perspective on that. There are many, many voices in our culture today that say, you know, God isn't real. God doesn't even exist. Why in the world would you submit your life to some ancient document that's irrelevant to our times and no longer applicable to our lives? It's just silliness and foolishness. Listen, all those voices will soon fade away, and they will fade into oblivion. Every word they've said will fade. Every document that's been written, every best-selling book on atheism that's been written in our contemporary culture, that will all crumble and fade into history. And when that all happens, the Word of God will remain as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. How do I know that? It's been historically true. It's been historically true. There's been naysayers, critics, skeptics, scoffers in every generation. But it hasn't changed the reliability of God's promises and His truth contained in His Word. Well, perhaps you're a skeptic. Perhaps you're a, a, a critic, a scoffer. Maybe you're in the room today and you're an atheist. Let me just say to you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what anybody here thinks about any of this. The fact is that God is reliable, not because of anything that we bring to the table, but because of the integrity of his own character. So that when God says, listen, that bank may promise performance I perform my promises. The best the world can give you is some kind of promissory note about some future performance. But he said, you can take this to the bank. I will do everything I've ever promised I will do. And that's based on him and not on us. Pastor, that's just really good. That's just so good. Wow. I'm in, listen, I'm encouraging myself right now. My faith is growing. I have to listen to myself preach too. It's for, sometimes it encourages me. Now, I want to tell you something else. I think Christianity is a thoughtful religion. I really do. And I, I think it's an intellectually sound religion. And I, I believe it will stand up against objective, critical thought. I do. And there are fo folks who poo-poo the whole notion that, you know, to be a Christian, you have to take this blind leap of faith into this darkness and this void. Well, listen, there is a leap of faith that is required in order to attain a relationship with God. 
And that's a very purposeful thing. But God stands in the heavens and says, look, I'm actually trustworthy. This may feel like uh, you're going to jump into some, some abyss. But actually, my promises are, if you'll jump my way, I will catch you every time. If you lean my way, I'll support you every time. If you come my way, you can count on it. You can take this to the bank. I'll be faithful to you. And so I'm just telling you, you may, you may accuse me of just being some kind of mindless, uh, 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 foolish person who just jumps in the dark all the time. No, no. Every step I take, friend, has been measured not only in the reliability of God's character, but the truth of his word and his promises to me. And once I understand what the promises are, then I'm willing to take that step of faith, trusting in God's character and his reliability. Well... The world can make you doubt his word and his promises. If the, word, the world can do that to you, then the world can make you doubt God himself. And so they are intrinsically connected together. Therefore, my challenge is believe the promises of God. The pathway of promises is the pathway of faith. And of course, God, God can't be manipulated with his promises. I mean, you can't quote the scripture. God, your word says, and you can quote the Bible to God, and God says, you know, I actually knew that. I knew what it said. So you can't manipulate God or coerce God in any way with his promises. The whole point is simply this, that life will hand you stuff from time to time that will unsteady you and unnerve you and challenge you and, and cause anxiety and fear to grow in your heart. And what the promises of God are intended to do is to give you a firm place to stand when the storm crashes against your life. And those who embrace the promises of God tend to stand better than those who wobble around them. Here's a second thought I want to make, and that is that God's promises relate to patience and endurance. Now think about this in this context, patience and endurance. Second Peter 3 says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? And so we hear this, don't we? We hear people in our culture scoffing about the Bible, scoffing about Christian values, scoffing about the truth that we embrace. And, and this is nothing new. In fact, the Bible predicts that in the last days, the scoffers will be even more virulent in their attack. And so part of that attack is, you know, you've been suggesting that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return. There's a second coming of Christ. You know, the, the mantra of the church for centuries now has been, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And we hang on to that promise. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. But the scoffer says, wait a minute, you've been saying Christ is coming again for 2,000 years. Where is he? If he was coming, it seems like he'd have been here by now. I mean, every generation of Christians for 2,000 years said Jesus is coming back. I mean, one of the, the words used in the first century prayer meetings were, was the word Maranatha, which means come, Lord, come quickly. And it's an appropriate word, a prayer to pray to this very day. Come, Lord, you're welcome to come. But now we have to factor in patience and endurance. Verse 9 of that passage in 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some would count or understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So now we get some insight into why God delays his return. He has purpose behind it. There's a mission behind it. He wants everyone. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants to include everyone. He wants to exclude no one. He wants to give everyone a reasonable chance. Now, I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life when I've said, you know, come, Lord, come right now. 
Maybe you're in a, a season of your life right now where you say, Lord Jesus, just come, come today. It would be so nice if you'd just come right now. Because what I have to face Monday morning, I'd rather not face. If you, if you come back today, woohoo, my problems are over. And we find ourselves kind of longing for that perhaps time to time. But then you begin to think about it and muse about people that we know who are outside of the loving family of God and the grace of God. Family members, maybe there's a spouse or a sibling or a child or a friend who are still outside of the grace of God. And we say, well, no, wait, no, wait, God, no, don't come quite yet. Let's give them more of an opportunity to be included in the family. And so we begin to learn the importance of endurance and patience as it relates to the promises of God. Listen to me, friends. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming. He's coming. Oh, yes, he is. He's coming. Yeah, he's coming. You know, there are prophecies about his coming that have befuddled the scholars for centuries. For, for example, one of, the, one of the promises that just fascinated me, I've been thinking about this recently, is the Bible says that when he comes, every eye will see him. We know where he's coming. He's going he's gonna to actually set down on the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem. That's where, when he comes, he's literally, that's the landing spot. His feet will land right there. And the Bible says, every eye will see him. For centuries, scholars would have to equivocate that and try to figure that out. So, wait a minute. If he's landing, you know, the, the planet's round. If he's landing on that side of the planet, on the Mount of Olives, that means folks over here in North America, we can't see him. He's on the other side of the ball, right? Can't see him. Here's, here's what we have today, though. We have, we have little monitors that every one of us carry in our pocket. And there are cameras everywhere. You understand there's camera everywhere. I, I tell my staff, listen, assume anytime you go outside of the confines of your own home, assume there's a camera taping every activity that you're doing. Just assume someone's watching you. That's the nature of the world. Listen, Jesus could come back today, put his foot on the Mount of Olives, and every single one of us would see him. You understand, there, there, there are four little Chinese women standing in a rice paddy right now watching me preach on their smartphone. It's a crazy world. I fantasize about that. I'm sure they're not, they're not watching it. But it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. So much fun. And so we, we learn patience and endurance because God is not slow about his promises, as some would count slowness. He, he will perform every one. And so that's something that we count on. Now, here's a third idea, and that is it relates to confidence, God's promises and confidence. In Hebrews 9 and 10, it reads that we have a promise of an eternal inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and fades not away. Isn't that beautiful language? Incorruptible, undefiled, it fades not away. This promise of eternal life is a hope that is undefiled and incorruptible. It it fades not away. It's a a lasting hope. That's why Galatians 4.28 calls us the children of promise. Isn't that beautiful? Acts 16.31 This is a verse that many of you know. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. How many tens of millions of people have stood on that promise? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. What a glorious promise that is. 
And God fulfills that every time you lean toward him and confess your sin and invite Jesus into your life. You are saved. It says, doesn't say might be. It says shall be saved. That's a promise that's sure every time. How many in this room have ever heard the menacing voice from hell trying to condemn you for your past? Those, those thoughts and words and voices of, of accusation and condemnation that, that remind you of every sin and every detail and every fault and every failure, reminding you, listen, anyone who's done what you've done can't possibly be a Christian. You may think you're a Christian. You may have taken steps to know Jesus and all that. But listen, you can't possibly be a Christian having done what you've done. Anyone ever suffer from that? Listen, when, when the devil tries to accuse you and condemn you, you need a promise. You need a, you need a promise from God. And here's a promise. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. Now listen, listen to me. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to agree with that. You don't have to like that. You don't have to, you don't have to buy into that. It doesn't change it. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's not based on what, how you behave. That's based on the character and quality of God. He says, if you'll confess me your sins, that you'll be forgiven. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You ever heard condemning voices? I saw what you did. I know, you know what you're like. You know the evil intent of your own heart. You know that even, even you, though you try to follow Jesus, you know that you're a mess and there's no hope for you. You can't possibly be a Christian. You're never going to make it to heaven. You're, you're lost and you're hopeless. You might as well just give in and give up. When that voice comes in, listen, you need, you need a promise from God. And the promise of God is there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And so what that means is you, you fear no dread. You fear no consequence that somehow God's going to bait and switch you. And, and that somehow this horrible impending doom is going to overshadow you. And this dark cloud is going to overtake you. And suddenly your life is just going to unravel and dissolve and you'll be lost forever. That's not true. That's a deception. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The promise of God says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The voice says, doesn't the Bible say that sin separates you from God? You must be far from God because you sin all the time. You must be... You must be miles from God in your relationship with God. And you say, yeah, that's true. Sin does separate me from God. But here's the promise of his word in Romans eight thirty seven. following. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, while sin may separate me from God, the promise of God based on his unchanging, immutable character is that I cannot be separated from his love. He has, he has gripped me in, my, in his hand and nothing can snatch me out of his hand. His love never fails. Uh, I cannot be condemned. I cannot be separated from God. You have to have those promises. You stand on those promises. That's where your confidence comes from. If you ask the average person on the street, can you quote a verse of Scripture? One verse from the Bible. Most people that you would find would start quoting John chapter 3, verse 16. John three sixteen. It's the most common, most notable verse. 
And of course, it's a powerful promise. Those of us in the church who've lived for Jesus for a long time, it, it almost becomes cliches for us. It's you know, so, so common to us. We're so acquainted with it that we don't appreciate how powerful the promise is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a magnificent promise. It's a powerful promise. Do you hear it? Here's the hope of eternal life. When we place our confident trust in Jesus, it's an amazing thing. Listen, one of the deceptions of youth, and everyone suffers from it. Every young people in the room today, you suffer from this deception. The deception is that you will live forever and that you will be forever young. Everyone buys in. Everyone buys into this deception. When we're young, we believe that we, we will stay young and be forever young. Uh, we even look at old people and go, no. That'll never happen to me. No. We all buy in. But let me tell you, young person, if you keep breathing, keep breathing and if Jesus tarries, look up at here, Pastor Greg. Look at me. Look at me. If you stay alive, you keep breathing, and Jesus tarries, I am your future. This is what's going to happen to you. Happens to everybody. Happens to everyone. Time, gravity, earth will take its toll on your mortal flesh. You will become corrupted. Your organs will wither. Your bones will become frail. Your mind will just <laughs> away from you. <laughs> and then you will die. Everyone in this room has stood at the graveside of someone precious to you. Because time and gravity and earth and the corruptive nature of our own flesh has taken its toll. And the person is dead. And you've wept. You've shed tears at the graveside of someone precious to you. In some cases, it, it feels overwhelming. The depth of loss and separation and the permanency of it, the sadness of it, just the circumstances sometimes are so grievous. They're so wounding. They're so horrible. One day you'll stand at the graveside of your grandparents, your own parents. Maybe some of you stood at the graveside of your own children. And you've stood there and, and it so broke your heart. And it so wounded you. You felt the pain of that, the weight of that, the poignancy of it. You heard yourself say, maybe even out loud, I would give my life if they would just have another chance. I'd trade places with them if I could. We, we feel that. And then, and then one of these days, your grandchildren are going to stand at your graveside and they're going to weep over you. And here's my question to you this morning. How do you stay sane at the graveside? How can, you, how can you manage that? How does anyone get through that? Let me tell you, the only way you don't go crazy and lose all of your hope and lose your way completely after being at the graveside, there's only one way, and that is standing on the promises of God. 
We stand on the hope of the integrity of God's own character who has promised us that in the question, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You understand that we have been given victory over death. Death has been done to death. As those who believe in Christ, we hear his words, I am the resurrection and the life. And though a person be dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. These are the promises of God that remind us that we never say goodbye for the last time. We look at our loved one in the faith and we say, we'll see you later. Sooner than later. It won't be long. We'll be with you. And we'll spend an eternity celebrating the goodness and grandness and greatness of God's eternal promises that if we place our hope in him, that he will be faithful to deliver us. And this is the hope that we have. We need a promise from God. Yeah. So what we learn here is that there is no storm, there is no heartache, there are no circumstances for which God has not supplied a promise. A promise to help us. Let me just add this last point, and that is God's promises and the Holy Spirit. You know, God has promises, promised us this additional help, this, this asset, this strength, this power, this grace that comes through His Spirit. And some of us think that we're not good enough to receive any special grace from God that he wouldn't give us his Holy Spirit. I mean, that would just be out of character for, for God to give us such a thing. But the promises of God, Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the promise of God. And look, that's not based on you. That's based on God's goodness, right? And he's promised to give us power. In, in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And so we all get this, right? As parents, grandparents, we'll do anything to help our kids. We'll, we'll just do anything because even though we're bad and corrupted and evil, you then, being evil, know how to give good things to your children. How much more then would the heavenly Father be willing to give you everything you need in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit? So this is the promise to us. And we stand on that promise because there may be some day when you're, you're uh, uh, waiting in line at, at, some, at some service place or you're in an airplane and you just happen to have your Bible and you've read your Bible and the person notices that. And before you land, that person looks at you and says, you know, it looks like you're a spiritual person, maybe a Christian person. I see you reading your, your Bible. You know, I, I've always struggled with this. Could you help me understand how you can have peace with God? And the promise of God is that the Holy Spirit will be available to you to be an effective witness in a moment like that. Are you ready for that? The way you're ready for that is you stand on the promise of God that He will equip you and He will give you the words to speak and He will give you what you need in that moment. That's the promise. And so we wait and we stand there. Could I just uh, remind you that we have these wonderful assets in the bookstore, little pocket promise books. I've been chirping on this for a while that it outlines in an index issues of life, you know, I need peace, I'm, I'm overcome with temptation, I need power, I, 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 I need clarity and direction uh, in my life. And all of these issues are outlined and you just go there and you just flip to that part of, the, part of the book and it gives you verses of scripture, the promises of God to reassure you that you don't have to be afraid, that you can be at peace, that you can overcome temptation, that you, that you can be healed. And all of these kinds of promises are there. 
and it's a great asset to you, I encourage you to have one of those. Just have it as a companion. I wonder how many of you have a version, an app on your smartphone or pad uh, of a Bible app. Maybe the U version is the one I recommend. How many have that? Which means there's a bunch of you that don't. Listen, everyone, you've got to do this. Uh, let me just, in real time, wa- watch this. Real time. Click on the Bible app. And here's today's verse. Verse of the day from you version of the Bible. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. How great is that? How long did that take me to get a verse for the day? Then I just click on it again. The whole chapter comes up. And I can read the whole chapter. So I'm too lazy to read. Fine. Hit the other button. It'll read it to you. (laughs) All you got to do is put it up to your ear. And you're hearing the, the promises of God. It's awesome. You say, that sounds really good. I'd like to have that on my phone. I'm just, I just don't know how to get it on my phone. Listen, find anyone in the room, 40 years old or younger, <laughs> before you leave today, it'll take three minutes. It's free. And they will go like this and then go there. <laughs> it's on your body. It's the whole b- Was it, Is it just one version? It's... Dozens of versions. Whatever version you like, pick one. Are there different reading programs? Dozens of programs. Pick one. It's just amazing. Craig Gorshell is the pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma City. His church actually made this Version Bible app. It was actually a web page when they first designed it, and nobody went there. They said, we've got this web page now you know, of the Bible. You can go there, and there's all kinds of special Bible uh, programs that you can Read the Bible on a regular basis. Just, we'll just do it for you. Just log on to that webpage. And nobody went there. There's like four people who went to it. And they said, well, this is a failure. Nobody uses this. And this was just as Microsoft was coming up with the whole app application, this whole app world. And they said, well, maybe we, let's just make it a Bible app. You know, maybe someone will log on. Now a gazillion people, millions and millions, multiplied millions of people around the world have downloaded the Version Bible app and are reading the Bible every day or having it read to them. It is so easy. It is so simple. This is how you connect with the promises of God. Every one of us need the promises of God to find our way and to stay on the way. Are you getting it? Now, let me just, uh, let me just say, are you anxious today? Are you worried you need a promise. Listen to Isaiah 26.3. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Are you filled with guilt and shame today? Just dogs you, guilt and shame? Burdens your life? Listen, the Bible says, here's the promise. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You need a promise. Are you afraid today? You're afraid of the opinion of others? You're afraid of failure? Are you afraid of the future? Listen to this promise in Isaiah 12:2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust in him and I will not be afraid. Mm-hmm. For the Lord, even Jehovah, is my strength, my song. He has become my salvation. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, told Peter told Paul told the young evangelist Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love and power. And a sound mind. The Apostle John said, for perfect love, casts out all fear. So you need a promise. 
You need a promise to stand on to overcome your fear. Have you ever had a night of weeping? Anyone here? Any parents here ever been awake at 3 o'clock in the morning praying, God, please let my son or daughter come home safe? They're two hours past their curfew. You're not sure where they are. You're praying, God, I promise I won't even be mad when they get home. Just let them get home safe. Every parent in the world has had that moment. The young couple standing over their newborn baby, the little baby there in the NICU, they're just standing over it in the middle of the night praying, God, please don't let our new baby die. Please. See, in a moment like that, you need a promise. You need a promise. You need Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may remain for a night, but joy will come in the morning. So you can stand on that. You can be confident of that. You can take that to the bank. Because that's a promise of God to you. No matter what, God has a promise. Sarah, you'll remember, let's uh, double back full circle now, received the promise which originally made her laugh. She did conceive at 90. Hello? 90 years old and pregnant. Amazing. Abraham got her pregnant when he's 99. That's before, that's before Viagra. No purple pills. I mean, the you know, commercial for that says, if you have a particular physical phenomenon lasting more than four hours, call your doctor. Abraham's telling everybody. As soon as, as, soon as Sarah announces, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant. Abraham, can you, can you see him strutting his stuff? Working his way through the village of tents, high-fiving guys, winking at guys, 99 years old. Dudes are just going, wow, that boy's impressive. <laughs> now, let me ask you something. You know, Sarah laughed and mocked the promise. You're going you're gonna to be a mother. She went, Psst. Abraham laughed. He fell over laughing because he was excited by the whole idea. He believed that God was fully able to make good on the promise. Let me ask you something. Did their attitudes on either end of the spectrum, did it change the outcome at all? No, that boy was born, wasn't he? That girl got pregnant. She may have had a bad attitude about it, but she's pregnant, and she's happy about it. And Abraham, at the, at the very level of the promise, he hasn't seen it yet, hasn't touched that baby yet, hasn't realized that, that promise yet, but he's fully persuaded that God is able to do whatever he promises. And he receives it joyfully. So God's promises don't depend on your attitude. God brings his promises to pass. But they'll be so much sweeter if you believe them along the way. And so that's my, my invitation to you today. To believe that God is faithful to his promises. And as we believe them, it brings so much more joy and peace and optimism to our lives. So embrace His promise. You want to find the way, stay on the way, stand on the promises of God. Can I get an amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your promises that we can know faith and patience and endurance and confidence in all the moments of life as we recognize Your truth and the promises You provide. Now let me pray these words for you. Maybe this is the kind of Christian that you want to be, and you believe these words in your heart as I pray them out loud. God, I want to place my life on your promises. Lord, I'm facing challenges, difficulties, 
unique crises, realities in my life, I need solid footing. I need faith and grace, strength and hope. I need your confidence. And so I thank you today that you are a God who performs his promises. I thank you for miracles. And I thank you that there's not a single circumstance in my life or anyone's life that does not have a promise from you. And so, God, I place my life now joyfully on the promises that you provide. I'm standing on the promises of God. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.